The Evolve to Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Mark Brooks, co-founder of Voice Integrated Products Limited, a business that he successfully grew and sold in 2006. In the 14 years since then, he has started a number of other different companies, some of which he has sold, some of which he operates to this day, and he also serves as an advisor to many entrepreneurial businesses. I've known Mark for over 15 years, and he was instrumental in helping me reach the decision to form Inspire in 2004. I use him as a sounding board, and he me. Therefore, this is more of a relaxed discussion than the normal podcasts, but I hope you do enjoy the discussion. Amongst other things on this podcast, Mark talks about the advantages of working with non-executives, especially in the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey. When you have your own business, it can it can be quite a kind of lonely place. And so uh, to, ha- to have somebody to just say, look, what do you think about this? Um, is, is absolutely invaluable. Speaks honestly about the difficult feelings that follow the sale of a business you put your heart and soul into. And there was a massive sense of just loss. And, and you used the word earlier about you kind of losing your baby. That's exactly what it felt like. Because I had poured blood, sweat and tears into this thing. And it was a passion. And uh, all that had kind of gone. And reiterates the importance of adaptability in ensuring your startup will be successful. You must be able to adapt and you shouldn't be afraid of adapting either because ultimately the the market and your customers will determine uh, what they want from you. Let's get on with the show. Welcome Mark to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. It's great to have you as a guest on our podcast. Well, it's... uh... Yeah, it's going to be an interesting experience, Warren, and thanks for inviting me. Appreciate it. All right, an experience. I don't think I've had a guest say that before, but so let's give it a go. And let's kick off with your early days in business, Mark. So I think it's nearly 30 years ago, isn't it? That, and I guess you were in your mid to late 20s and you set up a company called Voice Integrated Products. Yeah. Uh, yeah which was a new tech startup company? Yes, it was. It was, it was born out of frustration as funnily enough, quite a lot of my subsequent companies have also been born out of frustration and just frustration that, you know, I thought I could do something perhaps better than it was currently being done. And so that's that's where it came from. Yeah, my first startup. Absolutely. So what was the premise behind the business? And you had a business partner as well, didn't you, in that business? I did. Uh-huh. A good, very good friend of mine, John Sandin Allen. The, the, the long and the, the short of it, very, very briefly... After uni, I, I did maths and physics at uni, and then um, because I wanted to be a nuclear physicist, believe it or not, I wow. did. I did become, <laughs> and I was my first job was a nuclear physicist uh, over at Winfrith. Lovely, wonderful people. Dreadfully boring job. Taught myself to write software in my spare time, and joined a little um, software company uh, over in Ferndown, where I met John, and we were 
we, we both loved the tech, loved, loved the product, but we just thought we could do it better. And that's why VIP was formed. Um, and VIP was one of the earliest UK uh, businesses to provide, well, what back in the day were, were called voice systems. So um, solutions to answer the phone and ask callers who they wanted to speak to and then automatically route them through or, or indeed take a message. Um, so we, we were one of the earliest ones to do that in the UK. Wow. So what was your original ambition for the business? When you and John decided to leave kind of employment, you're going to set up your own business, what was good going to look like? What was that original ambition that you had, Mark? <laughs> That's a great question. So um, that was my first startup. And at the time, I didn't even know what a startup was or indeed what a business was. Um, so the, the, the driver for doing it primarily was still thought I could do something better than it was currently being done. And and then once I kind of got my head around that, gradually the driver for that business changed over time. So it start, started off like that. And then it became uh, wanting to be technically excellent. And then it became, oh, actually, this could be quite a nice income stream. And then it became, oh, actually, this this could build actually some significant capital value. So it moved over over a period of the first few years, I guess. And what was it like in those very first few months? Because I believe it was just you and John to begin with, wasn't it? And we'll talk yeah. about the growth of VIP. But what yeah. was it like in those first few months? Fabulous times, funny times. But basically, I was uh, perched on the end of my, my bed um, with a very, very old secondhand PC, the like of which you wouldn't even find today just perched there typing code and John bless him was trawling up and down the motorways of uh, of the UK desperately trying to find someone um, that would buy an initial system from us um, so it would yeah cra- crazy times no mobile phones so uh, yeah back in the day no internet of course lots of floppy disks crazy hasn't the world changed <laughs> <laughs> it really has changed Warren yeah it has it has it has and do you think you're always destined in hindsight, to run your own business. I know you've talked about wanting to be a nuclear physicist and all of those things, but do you think in hindsight you were destined to run your own business or businesses as as been since? Yeah, I th- I think it's right for me, uh, definitely. Um, I just didn't realise it back in the day. I always thought, actually, I wanted to be an academic of some form, but quite clearly that's not right for me. It, I find it really difficult to to work for people I love working with people, but not for people. And and when I when I see or sense an opportunity, I like to just do something about it immediately. And that's often difficult in the confines of something that isn't yours. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely the right thing for me. But it perhaps took me a little bit longer than than might have been nice for me to work that out. Well, you say that, but you were still in your 20s when you started your first yeah, business, yeah. Mark. So I think yeah. you're a pretty early starter. And actually, I suppose come back to that as a question. Do you think there was advantages or disadvantages in being relatively young when you started your first proper business? Well, I, I guess the obvious advantages are just absolute energy, the energy of youth, Um the belief that you have in yourself that comes with youth and also perhaps the generally the the fewer responsibilities you have when you're younger so all of those definitely help but of course the counter to that is 
perhaps lack of experience, perhaps lack of credibility, and perhaps perhaps maybe just a tad too much bravado. Um, so pros and cons, I would say. Okay, yeah, really honest and response there, Mark. Thank you for that. And it, VIP went through exceptional growth, didn't it? I think I think I've heard you speak before. There was a time. There was a switch where you really started to get serious about the business. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct, yeah. And what do you think flipped that switch? So if, if I look back at that period of my career, over a period of a few years, I transitioned from being really technically biased to being much more commercially biased. And again, that's something that I never foresaw. I've always, always been... It, you know, up until my mid-20s, I was always a very technically driven person. But what I came to realise was generally, not always, but generally, irrespective of how good um, your your product and your technology is and irrespective of how wonderful you make it, you have to understand commercials. You have to understand sales and marketing. You have to get your head around that. And I, as I made the switch over a period of a couple of years, helped by... Um, some really fabulous uh, non-execs that I was lucky enough to get on board who helped me make that transition, uh, then the business really started to fly. I was reluctant to do it at first, but having having made the transition, yeah, that's when we started flying. Really interesting. And actually, you mentioned there non-execs, and actually, you know, there's a lot of businesses out there that are thinking about, should they take on a non-exec, somebody that can come onto the board and support, I know, a mentor to the board is another way of putting it. What benefits did you find from having a non-exec on board in those early years? Um, yeah, so I was lucky enough to, to have two non-execs, a chap called uh, Hugh Crook, who was very, very commercial. He, he'd done his own startup and grown it and and sold it. Quite a ruthless individual, but fabulous for that, for that very reason. And another yeah. chap called uh, Tony Brunt, bless him, who unfortunately is, is no longer with us. But he was a, a wonderful guy in terms of processing corporate governance. So the things I learned really from, from Hugh, I learned how to structure a deal and, and just how to understand the commerciality of, a, of, a, of an offering, the true commerciality of it. Um, and from Tony, I understood in terms of growing the business, how to put structure into the business and how to make sure that communication was flowing through the business as, as we added more and more people. And those, those were skills that I definitely didn't have at the time. Um, and then finally, both of them acted as just fan, fabulous sounding boards. They were both sharp individuals, but they both had different angles on things. But when you have, you know, when you have your own business, it can it can be quite a kind of lonely place. And so uh, to, to have somebody to just say, look, what do you think about this? Is, is absolutely invaluable. And, and both those guys were great in that respect, too. Yeah, I think I absolutely agree with you there, Mark. I think, you know, it's often said, and I would agree with it, that when you've founded a business, you've started a business and it's growing and it's starting to succeed, that you still face numerous challenges and without sounding boards or people that were around you that you can talk to and support it's an extremely lonely experience yeah. isn't it yeah yeah i remember to tony brunt i wish to say to me bless him you know if, if he if he saw me getting too frustrated 
you know, in, for example, a sales meeting or something like that, he, he would always talk to me after the event and say, look, you've got to remember, Mark, you do need to do your crying either A, in the toilet or B, in front of me. <laughs> that, that alone, he was remarkably, uh, remarkably useful. Whereas uh, Hugh, at the same time, would say, "Crying? What are you talking about? You don't man up, boy." <laughs> yeah, so both fantastic guys. Brilliant. So you've gone through this kind of stage, the startup phase. It was fun. It was you. It was John. You'd start to grow the business. You'd found that switch to start to drive the business forward. You went through some phenomenal growth. Perhaps you could just, you know, give a little summary of that for our listeners. But then give us an insight into what you thought or saw as some of the challenges to being involved in a high growth business. Yeah, sure. So I think for us, and interestingly, I would say in pretty much every company I've been involved in since then, the growth came when we started to really understand what problem we we were trying to solve. Uh, so we, we started off with what we thought was this fantastic idea. Um, but what we didn't really understand at that time was, was what problem it was we were solving for our customers. And I think the minute that we, that we got our head around that, <clears throat> um, it enabled us to produce a much better product that had real value and therefore was easier to sell. And that's, even to this day, that's the first thing I always try and ask myself is, okay, what's, what's the problem I'm trying to solve here? Who's, who's got that problem and how much of an issue is it for them? Prior, prior to understanding that, my mindset was more about, I've got this fantastic idea. Oh, my God, it's incredible. Everyone's going to love it. Okay, and I think you're relying on luck in that scenario. Whereas if you take the, the approach of looking, of having empathy for the customer and trying to understand what value they get from it, and really think that through, then for us, um, we, we changed the product offering, we changed the way we marketed it, um, we changed even the sectors that we were targeting. Um, and that's what really took the business from being what I would call a shotgun approach to sales into a much more laser-focused, targeted approach. Wow. Oh, that's, yeah, exceptional advice there, Mark. And, um, yeah, I think that all of us at times can fall into the trap, can't we, of really believing in what we're doing, believing in our products and our services services, and not being customer-focused enough. Yeah. And we had Tom Mercer from Mama Oats uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he talked about, in a similar kind of way, this thing about passion and objectivity, yeah, and that you can have a passion for something, but if you're not, if you can't get objectivity around it, yeah, you're going to struggle to succeed. And it's in a different context, yeah, but it's similar to what you're saying there, isn't it, Mark? It is. You can't, you know, generally, you can't force your passion on someone else. <laughs> generally, yeah. passion's a very personal thing. But what you can do is understand where someone's pain is, and understand how you can help them address that. And that's not just in terms of what you're offering, but it's how you're how how you're describing it to them, so that they really understand the value you're giving. And I think that's um yeah that's a really important lesson that I that I learnt during that VIP growth phase. Brilliant. So ultimately, in 2006, Mark, you went through a successful sales process of VIP. Yep. I suppose what were your memories of that process and that experience? 
well, I had this quite young accountant helping me at the time, and he was he was quite good, and he's he's gone on to do some quite good things, I believe. Has he? <laughs> the <Monday laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> That's one of the first things I remember. So, what do I remember during that time? So, are you talking about the the, the how easy it was? Are you talking about the sticky points? Are you talking about the drivers for it? I suppose I'm just, you know, a lot of people aspire to grow and then exit their business. And then that reality of, and I'll come on and talk to you, Mark, about that experience post-sale, but really that experience of we're in this process now, we're going to sell the business. Got it. And that whole experience, and I know you've had it since, but that whole experience of the reality of that exit process on Okay. And any advice you'd give to somebody going through an exit process, I suppose. Okay. Understood. Yeah. Okay. So first things first, for for VIP, again, my first business, we, we didn't really set out with a view that this business would be something we would sell. And as I mentioned earlier, the appreciation of its capital value was something that became apparent to us and something that we thought about much further down the line. So it wasn't um, a driver at the beginning at all. So that makes it very different to subsequent businesses that I've been involved in, first of all. Um, the, the, the real reason for the sale was because the, the market gradually became much more crowded and the product's that we were providing became that little bit more commoditized. But notwithstanding that, we we still maintained incredible traction in, in a number of key sectors, most notably um, health um, and the finance market. Uh, they were really, really good customer bases for us. So funnily enough, our, our customer base and the loyalty of our customers and our, and our customer contracts ended up being more valuable than the the actual technology that we, or certainly I, had poured my life and soul into. Once I got my head around that, it became obvious that either we would have to take the next technology leap um, and literally reinvent ourselves from a tech perspective, which is a a really, really difficult thing to do, particularly when you're um, a large company. And I suppose you've got a legacy platform at that point. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it would, you know, it's a... It would have been a very significant thing to do. But and whilst on the other side of the scales, you have this quite significant capital value based based on the hard work that you've done in terms of sales and delighting your customers and retaining your customers. Um, and so our mindset really changed uh, when we took on another very, very top level guy, initially as, a, as an advisor, a chap called Brian Smith, uh, who, who actually came over to join us from Canada initially as a, as a kind of a, a, a business mentor. Uh, but shortly thereafter, I think the, the view we took was actually that there's very significant value in this business. And that now might be the time to look for an exit. And that's really what drove um, our plans in that respect. Um, and then in terms of trying to uh, work out how we were going to exit, Brian himself was really, really useful in that respect because we sat down and we tried to understand what sort of company would want to buy us and why would they want to buy us. Um, and we always used to, we used to call this the, 
the paracetamol effect. We were looking for a company with a real migraine and we would be this wonderful paracetamol that would take their migraine away from them. Um, and if you've got a stunning migraine and you don't have any paracetamol, you will definitely pay more for it. And that was the approach that we took. We decided on a number of, of potential acquirers and essentially we set out to, um, I guess, annoy them as much as we possibly could. And we did this by selling into their markets, by going into their customers and offering uh, equivalents at better price. We just we just made ourselves a pain, frankly. So you were increasing the migraine. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the the what one of the organisations in particular had a stunning, stunning product. It was really fantastic. But their migraine was they just didn't have customer base. Whereas what we had was a product that was more than good enough, but it, it probably wouldn't last us another five or 10 years, whereas their product would. But of course, we had this wonderful customer base to sell into. Um, and so their migraine was, how on earth do we get traction? And our paracetamol was, well, how about having um, 100 NHS trusts to sell into? Um, and that was eventually the, the, the route that we took. So I think what I learned from that was um, before you even contemplate uh, going out to uh, sell your business, really think long and hard about who would buy it, why would they buy it, and again, look for the pain. Who's, who's, got, who's got real, real bad pain that actually um, the acquisition of your business could solve for them? And that was a valuable lesson. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. So you went through this successful disposal. It was, you know, it'd been your baby for 15 years or so. Uh-huh. Yep. And I've heard a lot of business owners talk about that sense of loss, the other side. Yeah. And I'm just intrigued to explore with you, how did it feel for you post-disposal? Because you were retained, weren't you, in the acquiring company in a role? Mm-hmm. Um, how did it feel to see somebody else running your business? So my personal feeling, uh, it was absolutely dreadful, awful. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, 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 it, was, it was sold for a significant sum, um, enough actually, you know, to allow me to pretty much put my feet up and chill out. But that all became kind of irrelevant, if I'm honest. And there was a massive sense of just loss. And, and you used the word earlier about, um, you know, you kind of losing your baby. That's exactly what it felt like because I had poured blood, sweat and tears into this thing. And it was a passion. And uh, all that had kind of gone. And I felt very, very rudderless for a period of time. Notwithstanding the fact that the company that acquired us, actually, um, that the senior team there, I, I joined them on the board and, you, you know, as individuals, you really couldn't fault them. They were, well, you know, it was uh, Anthony McKay and Bill Berger at uh, Telefonetics, PLC. And they're great guys, really lovely guys. They did their best to, you know, try and make us feel comfortable in the new entity. So from that perspective, um, no problem whatsoever. But just that deep feeling of loss of having, um, yeah, lost this thing that you created and, and watched grow up. I found it really, really difficult, really difficult. And was it just time that healed that, like any sense of loss? Or have you got some (laughs) 
lessons that you would <laughs> you've learned from that since and you'd share with others if they were going to exit their business? That's a really good question, Warren. When I think when I think back over that period, um, if I'm absolutely honest, I, I I think I made myself feel better by by looking and searching for the next thing to do, because I think the way that that I function is I I just like to I, I love to find problems, I love to try and solve them, and I love to kind of build things, and so really. Notwithstanding the fact I, I was, I worked within that group for a couple of years. I was still always had my eye on actually what am I going to do next? Um, and I, you know, I've seen I've seen people sell their business and basically go back to doing consultancy one day a month and play golf for the rest of the time. Well, trust you me, I tried it and it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> so you said earlier, p- putting your feet up and chilling out was never going to be for you. And just, I suppose you soon realised that. <laughs> no, totally. It's just, yeah, it, it's just, it's just not for me. It doesn't work. I don't, you know, I, I, I like holidays. I like all that kind of stuff. You know, I like to travel, but I like to have a purpose. And um, I just felt a bit rudderless. Yes, yeah, the only way I can explain it. Um, we spent, I spent a couple of years kind of in that environment and. During that time, we did a couple of acquisitions, which was fun because I was looking at it from the other side. And also, you know, I was I was working within a, a listed business, Telephonetics with PLC listed on AIM. And so that was interesting to work in the, in the PLC environment rather than the private environment. So I saw that. I saw what it's like to be an acquirer rather than being acquired. And then eventually we, we actually sold that business onto Netcore PLC. Um, so I saw what it was like to sell one listed business to another listed business as well. So I learned a lot and saw a lot, took a lot of it away and, and used that to, to start the next one, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure it was invaluable experience. I, I suppose I'd ask the question from being sitting on a sort of PLC board as a non-exec board member compared to running an entrepreneurial business and one that by the sounds of it with you know Tony Brunt involved was governed very well what is the difference uh, the, the the difference is is massive it's absolutely massive I, I guess it comes down perhaps to two things first of all the you, you do have to have someone on your board who has an extremely good understanding of the way the city works, such that you make sure that the actions you take and uh, the manner in which you take those actions are legally acceptable. You also need to have, I think, probably a chairman who knows the city. And that's really important too, from a share price perspective. Do you think that's there is still this old boys network then? Is that what you're alluding to? All I can tell you is I left that world in 2000, I'm just trying to work it out now, probably 2006, 2007, something like that. And it categorically existed at that point. Yes, 100%. And which was one of the reasons why I just didn't really fit there. Yeah, it just just didn't work for me. Interesting. Really interesting. There's a lack of freedom. I was going to say, did you feel more constrained yeah, in that yeah. environment? Because that would be the obvious thing to me. Yeah. So lack of freedom, but also this constant um, accountability. But you're you're accountable to to people who 
have put some money in on the stock market, but actually, in most cases, have very little concept of what the business actually does or why it functions. So I, I, I kind of understand uh, the AIM market as a means of raising funds, but I, I think anybody would be foolish to do that without really talking to someone who's done it before and understanding the differences. It is a different world. Very, very frustrating, I think, if you're um, if you're from a sort of startup entrepreneurial background. I yeah, think- and so I suppose you've stayed out of that world since and very much since that sort of exit from VIP into Telefnetics, into Netcall, and, and then beyond, you've... You've got on and founded um, a number of other successful startups, Mark. Some of those businesses you're still involved in today, some you've exited. Yeah. So I suppose you would say your specialism is in startup and high growth. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, I think so. I think so, Warren. Yeah. Um, so if in, in terms of actually um, getting something off the ground, I think I'm fairly well versed now in understanding the various tick boxes and checklists one needs to go through to try and get something off the ground that has a, then has a fair chance of, uh, of flying for a period of time. I've done that quite a few times now and kind of refined the way to do it. So I do get that. And I'm also working with a few companies at the moment who are in relatively early stage and just trying to guide those guys and, and help them miss some of the pitfalls because, you know, we're all it's easy to sit here and say, yeah, well, I did this, I did that, you know, but often what we don't talk about is the number of things you did wrong, you know, and I made yeah. so many mistakes. It's, um, yeah. Haven't I, we all? I do. <laughs> exactly. But the key thing is, again, as one of, one of my old execs used to say, is, you know, make the mistake, take the pain, you know, accept it, and that's fine. But if you go make the same mistake a second time, hmm, should you really be doing this? And I've tried yeah. to make the same mistake twice, if I can help it. <laughs> and, 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 and I've definitely experienced the pain, trust me. Okay. So for an individual, again, listening to the podcast, thinking of starting a business or in that early stages, particularly those in perhaps a tech-based or IP-based business idea, you've talked about those tick boxes that you know, needed to get off the ground. You know, in a few short words, what do you... How would you summarise those tick boxes? Oh, blimey. In a few short words. Well, I could talk for hours on it, Warren. Okay. Try to summarise it in a few words. First things first, uh, let's go back to the basics again. Um, What are you trying to solve? Who are you trying to solve it for? Um, How much pain are you going to take away from them? Got to understand that. That's really, really important. I think the next thing that you need to make sure you understand is um, what else is happening in this space. Okay, because there's just 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 need to understand those two things. Okay, um, then I would say once you've got your head around that, in terms of cr- creating the startup and getting it up and running, things are so so much easier today than they were back in the day, so much easier. The tools that are available today for a small team of people to just work together effectively are staggering. You know, I imagine you're, you're familiar with Slack, with Airtable, yeah. Zenkit, Shopify, Mobilize, and these, these online um, services and platforms just c- can allow two or three people 
to look like and operate like a much, much bigger entity. So in terms of your infrastructure, make sure you take absolutely best advantage you can of, of the tech that's available to get you up and running really quickly and, and enable that close working, that collaboration, the prototyping and, the, and, and that rapid rollout of whatever your proposition is. So I think that's important too. I think also probably you, you do need to make sure that that you are prepared to take this step because, as, as we said earlier, it's um, it's a lonely step, that's for sure, um, unless you're doing it, you know, with a partner or a couple of partners. Um, even then it can be difficult. So you've just got to make sure that, that you're prepared to work very hard. You've got to be prepared to go without for a period of time. You've got to be prepared to accept the disappointments. You've got to listen to your customers uh, and you've got to be able to adapt as well. Uh, I've worked I've worked with a number of startups and generally the ones that seem uh, to survive are the ones that adapt. And I think that's a really, really key point that people tend to forget. You know, you're a bit, your initial business idea, even though it's ticked all the boxes and it all looks good, once you actually get into the nitty gritty and you start trying to roll that out in the real world, you may find that actually there's only an element of that that's the bit that's going to succeed. Or maybe there's something on a slight tangent the other way that actually is, is where you need to go. So you must be able to adapt and you shouldn't be afraid of adapting either because ultimately the, the market and your customers will determine uh, what they want from you. So I think that, you know, you asked in a couple of sentences, there's a bit more than a couple of sentences, but those are probably the key things I would say. Brilliant. And that concept of pivoting and adapting is one that's much talked about, isn't it? And if you go back and look at some of the successful tech or high growth uh, unicorns, when you go back to their early days, a lot of them really have pivoted on, around their original business idea. But it takes courage to do that, doesn't it, Mark? Particularly when you put your heart and soul and perhaps just some, some of your life savings into a venture to actually admit that you might have got your proposition just off kilter slightly and to change and to have the courage to change and pivot, that does take a special individual, doesn't it? Uh, I, I think it does. I think it does. But also, I think, um, again, if you, if you have a quality and a trusted advisor or advisors, then hopefully those individuals will be challenging you. And it's often that challenging that opens your mindset to think, actually, do you know, maybe I just have to open these blinkers just a little bit. So it is, I think it's an important role to be played by a non-exec or, or a business mentor or whatever that person chooses to call themselves. You know, the, the worst thing you can possibly have, to, to my mind, is a non-exec or a consultant who, who agrees with everything you say. Well, that's a disaster waiting to happen. That's just burning cash. Yeah, exactly. It? It's of no use whatsoever. You know, if, if, if you've got someone uh, in, in that guise, my suggestion would be remove them. Um, so that, that sort of individual can really help you accept that you need to adapt over time. And, I, you know, it would be interesting to do some form of survey and see how many startups have managed to get, you know, from zero to, uh, to disposal without some form of significant adaptation. And I suspect it will be a low number. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's interesting what you say, and I wholeheartedly agree to my own personal experiences, Mark. 
you know, constructive uh, challenge fuels success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I know that over the years, you've actually been part of some peer groups. You know, we are both members of a peer group in Bournemouth run by a great guy called Nicholas Stevens called Bowshot back in <laughs> yeah. about 2005, six, seven. You were in the successful group. I was in the startup group is what I recall. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I know you've been members of those peer groups and you've also always surrounded yourself with like-minded individuals, meeting regularly with them, having a coffee. Um, what, can you just, you know, again, sort of describe what you see as the benefit of doing that? Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I think it, it does come back to this loneliness or perhaps a better word w w would be to make sure that you're, that you're not being too insular. You know, I, I see, you know, many uh, CEOs, founders of, you know, small startups that they have the passion, they have the focus, um, but sometimes they they're just not listening. Okay, and it's it's really really important to listen, and, and we all know this adage, you know, the mm. two ears, one mouth. Yeah, use them in that proportion. And it's really easy, I think, when when you have a startup and you have all this passion and focus, and you're driving forward, um, to to just not listen. And listening is really, really key. And listening to, to the right people is even more important. And that, that's something I have always done. That's, I think, is a constant across my entire career. Um, I love to listen to other people's input. And uh, some I like, some I don't like, some I accept begrudgingly, some I accept with open arms. Um, but nonetheless, I do listen. And listening is uh, is really key. So yeah, if, if you're if you're not listening or you're not um, involving yourselves with people who have an opinion and people who will challenge you, then you are missing out one hundred percent. Absolutely, I suppose that flows into the other piece around developing as an individual. And how have you fueled your own development over the years since those early days of VIP to where you are now? How have you developed as an individual and how have you found the right resources for that personal development to occur? So I think my personal development has, has been over many years. Um, and so it's been an, an evolution. From time to time, I've, I've dipped into various groups. Um, and you mentioned um, Nicholas Stevens' fantastic bow shop group back in the day. And more recently, some, some other groups as well. Um, I've had periods of time where I've where I've done lots of networking, and periods of time where I've preferred not to. Um, but I, I've maintained over the years, you know, a close circle of like-minded individuals um, that I always make sure I take the time on a reasonably regular basis to to just catch up with. Um, there's always something to be learned. There's always something that's happening that I've missed. Uh, and hopefully there's always some input that, that I can provide too. And I, I personally prefer that to excessive networking. I think a lot of networking events can be networking for networking's sake. It's all about the, quali the quality of the, of the individuals there. Uh, peer groups, I think, are fantastic. If you can get the right individuals uh, in the peer groups, I think they work really, really well. Um, and even today, I continue to, to dip my toe into those sort of things. Brilliant. So 
Coming on to you as an individual a little bit more, where do you find your own personal inspiration? Um, I think, I think it's it's probably for me generally born out of a kind of a frustration where I see something and I think, you know, you know I'm sure I could just do that better, or. I'm sh- it, that that shouldn't be that hard. How can it be that difficult? And those are the things that that generally get me thinking. And then if I think about them long and hard enough, then I might think, well, actually, yeah, you could do it better. You could kind of do it this way. Um, and then once I've got to that point, then I might actually sort of try it out. And then, that's the area of business that I that I really really enjoy. So that's the thing that gets me kicked off. And, and then these days, where it used to then be hitting the keyboard and trying to actually physically create it, these days, the second thing that really gets me going is, okay, how do we, how am I going to position this to a customer? And how am I going to get these those first few sales, the first really, really key early adopters? How am I going to do that? And I find that hugely exciting as well. That's really interesting, Mark, because I think when I listen to that, I, I see the mix of a part of this earlier conversation is that desire to perhaps be the intellect, the academic that transcended into the commercial individual. And in a way, that's what you're describing there, the intellect to solve a problem and then that commerciality to make it happen. Yeah, I, I guess so. I'm not, you know, Intellect's a funny word, isn't it? Uh, you know. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Maybe that's the wrong word, but who knows what that means? But you know, I—it's a combination of curiosity, frustration, and perseverance, I think. And if you take those three things, and I've got, you know, quite a lot of all three of those, then generally, <laughs> as you all as you all know, particularly perseverance. But yeah, generally, um, you know, I'll come up with a kind of a solution of some form, and 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 then it's that commercial bit that says, okay. How do we get it out there? How are we going to make people really, really smile about this? How are we going to make these people go, do you know, what, why on earth have we not had that before? It's incredible. And that is a real buzz. When you can make that happen, that's a real buzz. Brilliant. And from your personal ambition perspective, how has that personal ambition evolved and changed over the years? I guess it has changed. So from wanting to be technically the best to wanting to make a big chunk of money to wanting to help others um, along that same path. Um, I guess that that's kind of been my journey. I don't really have a desire um, to go and make a massive chunk of money anymore, if I'm absolutely honest. I absolutely have the desire still to solve problems. And I do really enjoy It's just a, a couple of small companies I'm working with at the moment, but that's um, that's just great fun, fantastic fun. So I enjoy that very much. Um, and I have my own um, startup, which uh, is selling software solutions into the NHS, which also is great fun, primarily because uh, the customers are, are just so cool. They're fantastic. So I'm enjoying that as well, but I'm, I'm driven more now by, um, by the curiosity and the can we solve this problem Uh, than I am by any massive drive for sort of capital return. Okay, brilliant. So 
there is must have been times in your journey. I mean, it's never a smooth road, is it? <laughs> you know, running a business, starting a business, let alone doing it multiple times, Mark. It's not, you know, it's not a linear journey from A to B. The ups, the downs, the kind of incidents that happen along along the way. There's times when you finish a day, you wake up the next day, and you you must have felt that moment of despair. When you feel those moments of despair, how do you rejuvenate yourself? Yeah, there have been lots of those, Warren, but all sorts. <laughs> I imagine there has been. <laughs> lots and lots for all sorts of different reasons. And I think probably the, if, if I were to think about how I've got over those, um, it's probably been one of three things. And I, and I couldn't tell you which one and when, but I have either A, uh, taken some time out and gone back and thought long and hard about why I started this thing, um, why I'm doing it and where I want to get to, and ask myself, does that all still apply? And if it does, uh, then pick myself up by the scruff of the neck and said, well, get in there and fix it then. So that's one option. Yeah. Um, another option is sitting down with one of your, your valued uh, colleagues, stroke advisors, and just sharing that pain with someone else. And re but really sharing it and saying, this is really, really hurting me. Um, and this is why it's hurting me. And just seeking that external advice. Because more often than not, when we're hurting as well, we tend to be hurting, I think, because we're at the coal face of something. Um, and it can be really useful to speak to someone who's a bit further away, who can just see the wood through the trees. Um, so that also helps. And there have also been times where actually I was just burnt out. And so the answer was to disappear on holiday for two weeks in the sun uh, and do nothing. And then come back and lo and behold, um, all the problems are still there, but there's a new me to fix them. So all three of those have worked for me. and I, But I, I couldn't tell you which ones and when, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, very honest. And I think the, the final two of those three are around getting perspective, aren't they? Because I think when, you, when you're at the coalface, you can ultimately, it's really easy to just lose perspective on what you're doing and why you're doing it and who you're doing it for. And as a result, you start to make sometimes negative decisions because you haven't got that right perspective. And sometimes stepping away, as you say, talking to somebody, I think taking some time out, I don't think enough business owners do that. I think they feel guilty when they do that. But actually taking time out, letting your brain reset, you come back with a fresh ideas about how you're going to tackle problems, how you're going to tackle challenges, and also more enthused because you've got some energy back. So yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying, Mark. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you and I have had some interesting conversations over the years, um, but, but from both sides, haven't we? Where we've both... Either one of us has been up against a cold face and the other one has been able to shed a little bit of light on that. And uh, Definitely. we know from first-hand experience that kind of works. Mind you, I've never Absolutely. been on a holiday with you, though. Maybe you should try that one day. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> how, so I think it's probably my final question, uh, and we'll do a little wrap-up, but how has being entrepreneurial affected your l personal life? It's just so highly recommended, I cannot... You know, I, I couldn't put a value on it, but I consider myself to be staggeringly lucky that I have been able to um, 
you know, successfully be my own boss for so long. You know, I, I still love the challenge. I still love the mindset. I love, frankly, that I, that I make the decisions. I'll, I'll accept any pain that goes with that. And, and I consider myself truly, truly lucky to be in this situation. And, you know, hopefully I can continue doing it for some years because I, you know, I absolutely love what I do. It's fab. I can't, I can't think of uh, anything I would rather be doing. Brilliant, Mark. It's great to hear that you still have that hunger, that passion, that drive. And I think in particular, during the whole conversation, it's really interesting to have heard about how that passion and ambition has evolved over time. Uh, you're fundamentally the same individual, but with just a slightly different perspective yeah. on life and what success means, I suppose. I'd like to think that, you know, as you go through these stages, then, you know, you become a bit more balanced and, uh, yeah, you, you end up perhaps as a overall, a more equally balanced individual. And that's, yeah, I think that's fair to say, definitely. Brilliant, Mark. Thank you for being a guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. It's been brilliant as ever. Uh, having the chance and the opportunity to have a chat and a conversation with you. Thank you. You're, you're more than welcome, sir. Take care. Yeah, I will speak to you soon, no doubt. I'm sure you'll agree Mark is an extremely interesting character with a wealth of experience. I love the fact that Mark left university thinking that life of academia or becoming a nuclear physicist was for him but actually found success as a business owner and now an advisor to startups, particularly those startups in the tech sphere. I really loved hearing about his experiences of his early entrepreneurial journey, his thoughts on customer engagement and his unique approach to problem solving. I also really appreciated his honest thoughts on the value of speaking and building relationships to people that you trust and not being afraid to take time off, especially when times are tough and challenging. So if you haven't already done so, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and sign up for free. That free membership gives you access to great content and events, as well as a supportive network of business owners. You'll also have the opportunity there to join one of our peer groups, which clearly at the moment, because of COVID, are being done online over Zoom. The sharing and support of these groups as referenced by Mark in the podcast really are making a big difference to a lot of business owners and bolstering a strong community of like-minded individuals who are there for each other during the tough and challenging times as well as the good times. Also referenced in the podcast is Inspire. Inspire is a leading firm of business and tax advisors and if you want to learn more about Inspire then please do go to inspireaccountants.co.uk. Evolve has also got some great webinars coming soon, so please keep an eye on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram for further announcements. Thanks again for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe. We're endeavouring to do something a little different for the next podcast, so please do tune in same time next week for something I'm sure that you're really going to enjoy. Until then, from all of the Evolve team, please stay safe.